Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 8. This evening, we are continuing our Sunday evening series in the book of Romans, and we are looking at Romans, chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. Romans, chapter 8, verses 18 through 25, which can be found on page 944 of your Black Pew Bible. So feel free to use those if you don't have your own. Let us hear the word of our Lord. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. But who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Would you please pray with me as we prepare to hear God's word preached to us. Lord, I pray as we look at this profound passage and ask that you would imprint it upon our hearts. Not only that we would simply know what is true, but, O Lord, I pray that we would live our lives in faith, trusting and hoping well in the truth that you give to us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My first ever funeral that I officiated was for a six-month-old child in a remote village of Uganda. I remember that day very well. When I woke up that morning, I had no idea that there would be a funeral service that I would be a part of in any way, much less officiate it. But it's one of those events that you experience in your life that you never forget. And in this village... Uh, of a very poor rural area of the country, and attending this funeral was the entire village. Everyone in the town was there. There were Muslims, there were pagans, and there were Christians. Now the parents of the child who had died were members of the local church, and We had crossed over a small canoe to come to this area. And as soon as we get to the other side of the bank, uh, our guide is told what has happened. And he turns to me as the only American there and asked me if I would lead this funeral. Now, even though the parents of this child were Christians, they were members of the local church, as you can probably imagine, The grief 
that they were experiencing ran deep. In fact, the mother of this child refused to come out of her home. And as everyone was gathered there to uh, be there for the funeral, the father goes into her home and drags her out while she is screaming and wailing with grief as the whole village waited for her six-month-old son to be buried. And what do you say to someone who is feeling such deep pain and grief that it is uncontrollable? What do you say in such a situation? Well, as many of you know, there are different kinds of suffering in this life, and no doubt many of you have suffered many kinds of trials. But there are uh, general sufferings that you have simply because you're alive in this world. But then there are other sufferings that people experience because they are Christians, because they belong to Jesus Christ. If you doubt that, I recommend to you to go uh, in the office area. We have a copy of the Voice of the Martyrs magazine. And it's a good reminder of how Christians in the world today, in 2023, are being thrown out of their homes, exiled, and even murdered for the simple fact that they are Christians. And so we don't really need reminders from Scripture, not if we look around and contemplate the world we inhabit, to know that simply being a Christian does not make you immune to suffering of either kind, whether it is a a general sort of suffering or if it is a Christian persecution. In Romans 8, verse 17, right before our passage Uh, Paul the Apostle makes the point that actually in order to be glorified with Christ, we must suffer with Christ. Suffering is a part of this life. And many in their time of suffering, many of you can attest to this, where it feels like "This this is all I know. This is, this is all I see and there's nothing else. There's only my suffering. It's like your, your head is underwater and that's all you see is the pain and the grief and you don't have a clue what it's like to have your head above water again. But the Christian, I want to tell you tonight that the Christian is able to look at suffering in a different way. The Christian doesn't have to have his or her head under the water the entire time. But the Christian can look at suffering with an eternal perspective. With an eternal perspective. And if you look at verse 18, we see that Paul here is setting this up for us. is telling us that this is true. He sets up a theme in verse 18 that really, I think the rest of the chapter, Romans 8, will 
follow in some sort of way. And what we're taught here in Romans 18, in 8 verse 18, is that despite how it may feel, suffering is not everything. Suffering is not everything. And if you are going through a period of suffering right now, Know this, that your Father in heaven has prepared for you an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs even this. Even this. Verse 18 says that, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What an amazing verse. To remember, before you go into those times of suffering, so that it can be imprinted upon your heart, and that it can teach you and lead you when you go through your own trials and difficulties in life. But the question is, what kind of glory, what is the glory that will be revealed to us? Well, it is the glory of being children of God. The glory of being children of God. The glory of being fellow heirs with Jesus Christ Himself. Of Christ in us, who is the hope of glory. And this, this promise, this glory is, is an ironclad, absolute truth for you if you are a Christian. And this is the wonderful perspective we get to enjoy. And yet, when we examine our lives and we look at our day-to-day and we go through the aging process, whatever it may be going through that, that really keeps us up at night... We are reminded, though this is true, we yet still live in a time of faith and not sight. We do not yet have the full completion of God's promises. Yes, we have God's promises, but we don't have the completion of them. And so we live by faith. We live in the hope of promised glory in a world that is scarred by sin and with bodies that are scarred by living in a fallen world. And so what Paul does in these verses that we have tonight is he highlights this this tension that the Christian has of living in our time. Of living in a time of not yet having the complete fulfillment of God's promises. If you look at verse 25, he puts it this way. He says, We hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. What a description of the Christian life. It's an accurate description of the Christian life. We wait for it with patience. The day will come. When all that is promised will be seen. All that God promises will be seen. And so tonight, I want us to consider this tension of living in a time 
where we have the work and the, the promises of salvation already accomplished. What Jesus has done is not going to be undone. And yet there's the fullness of that work has not yet been completed. And, and Paul highlights this tension that we live in with, with two types of groaning. With two types of groaning in verses 18 through 25. And we're going to look at these two types of groaning. The first groaning is the groaning of creation. It's the groaning of creation. And this groaning will end in glory, by the way. And the second groaning, we will see, is the groaning of the children of God. And that also will come to an end in glory. And so this is what we're going to look at our passage tonight. These two different groanings. First, the groaning of creation. In verses 19 through 22, speak of the groaning of creation. I want us to look at verse 22 first. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And then in verses 19 through 20, speak of this groaning that has been happening, it says in verses 19 and 20, in eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Now, to understand and comprehend these verses, we need to, to, to think back, all the way back to the opening pages of Scripture. In the opening pages of Scripture, what do we see? We see God making the heavens and the earth. God creates the heavens and the earth by the word of His power. He, he creates the world. We see His creation come into existence. And as he makes the world, and the different days he makes you know, different parts of his creation, and he looks at it, and, and he examines it, and what does he say about it? It is good. And it is good. He looks at the world that he makes, and he saw that it was good. All that God had made, he had done so with perfection. And he declared it, very good. Of course, we know that that's not the end of the Bible. That shortly after, through we have Adam sinning against God. And we have the fall of mankind. But it's not only Adam and Eve who suffer because of their sin. But as sin enters into the world... It ends up twisting and warping creation out of shape. Death and destruction now dominates God's world. And even remember after, after the fall, when God speaks to Adam and Eve, He, he not only curses Adam and Eve, he, he curses the ground, the very ground where Adam worked. And so ever since that time, Ever since Adam's sin, we live in a cursed creation. We live in a cursed world. A creation that bears the marks of the fall. Yes, of course, you can look at the stars at night and 
be in awe and wonder there must be a God who made this. But how often do we look at the world and we live in a fallen world as well. Adam was to rule over creation, but he sinned. And therefore the world itself that he was to rule over bears the marks of sin. But again, we come to the point where we can be thankful that this is not the end of the story yet again. Notice in verse 20, God does not simply curse through created order. He subjects it to futility. Uh, But when he does this, look at the last two words of verse 20. He subjects the creation to futility in hope. He does this in hope. In other words, God was not going to let Adam's fall have the final word over his world that he made. Instead, the last word would be with Christ. Jesus himself and his redemption. Again, verse 19 tells us that creation eagerly longs for God to reveal his sons in hope that, verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We already have the picture set as it were, but... Again, we know that everything in creation decays. Things start out strong and healthy, perhaps, but over time, what happens? Everything, everything falls apart. But again, sin and its effects do not have the final word. And it's because of that, creation groans. Creation groans. The day will come when God will reverse Adam's sin and set creation free from its bondage to decay, bringing it into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In fact, the way that Paul describes the groaning of creation is verse 22. He likens that uh, to a woman giving birth to her child. Now, I... As you most everyone here knows, I have four children, and you likely realize I'm not the one who had to do the hard work of bearing these children. Uh, if you have children, or if you're a woman who has had children, once you go through the pains of labor, that's not something you forget, whether you see it or experience it yourself. And yet, a lot of people don't stop at once. Some do. Because despite the pains of labor, those pains don't last, do they? Those pains don't last. Eventually, eventually, and if, if you're expecting your first child tonight, I want you to know, eventually the baby will be born. And the mother will often go from the the pains and the struggles of labor to relief and happiness and joy, cuddling with her new child. You see the blessing 
that God has given you. And Paul says, when you think of the pains that creation is is groaning through, this is how we ought to think of it. Creation will be ravaged with sin, but there will be a day when Christ returns. And the created order that God made originally very good will be freed from its bondage to decay. And the Bible tells us there will be a day when the wolf and the lamb will feed together. It's interesting. I I think it's important that we understand that God's redeeming work in Christ, His plan of redemption, it includes His created order. His plan of redemption includes the world He made. Yes, Jesus redeems the elect, but He also ushers in a new creation. He brings in a a home of righteousness. And creation will be set free from pain and decay. I think generally, culturally, we we will talk a lot about heaven, don't we? We talk about heaven a lot, especially at funerals or when we prepare for funerals. And yet, I think it's interesting, the Bible seems to talk just as much, if not more, about the new heavens and the new earth. About the new creation that God will make, that will be made to show off His glory. This created world has been marred, and yet the new creation will show off God's glory even more perfectly. And there, nothing will be warped. Nothing will be out of place. And everything you see, not just the glimpses that you catch every now and then, but everything you see will declare the glory of the Creator. Will declare God's glory. And sometimes we need to remember that creation does not work the way it's supposed to in these days. Another illustration, my mother was a principal at an elementary school and there was one young girl she really got to know and our family got to know who was just one of the sweetest children I've, I've ever met, but she, she had leukemia and she suffered greatly from it. And whenever I would see her, we would talk about all sorts of things, but she would almost always end her conversation talking about all the things that she loved. And then she would say, you know what, Ben, one thing I hate, I'd say, what's that? Cancer. We're reminded creation groans under the weight of sin. Creation longs for the day when it will be freed from its bondage to decay. And God's word tells us that day will come. That day will come. And so creation groans. But secondly, it's not only creation that groans, it's it's Christians who groan as well. It's Christians who groan as well. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's interesting. We, we get the creation part. If you just watch, you know, one of the natural world shows, Blue Planet or, or whatever, and you see one animal eating another animal, and you're just like, this is gross, and you're reminded creation is not like it's supposed to be. But here, he's, and, and you think about non-believers. Of course it makes sense for non-believers to groan because they don't have Christ. But why is he describing believers here? Those who have the Holy Spirit, those who are in Christ, why does he describe believers, Christians, as groaning? I mean, aren't Christians justified by faith in Christ Jesus? That's an irreversible act. Of God's free grace. It it cannot be taken away from you. Aren't you, if you're in Christ, forgiven of our sins? Don't we, as Peter says, uh, don't we already have a living hope and an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading? That's what you have now. And aren't Christians, shouldn't Christians be the happiest people you meet in this world? Yes. They should be. And so you may wonder, well, then what does a Christian have to groan about? Well, I think the believer in Christ is the same kind of groaning that perhaps a child has when he's far away from home. Yes, the Christian salvation is sure today. We have the promises and assurances of God. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And yet, as verse 23 says, we do not yet have our resurrected bodies. And in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. What's he saying? What is the Christian hope? It's not heaven, actually. But the resurrection of the body. The life of the world to come. The new heavens and the new earth. The home of righteousness. Verse 23 says that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. But you see, it is because of that, because of the Holy Spirit in us, that we groan inwardly. This is... The first fruits of the Spirit is sort of like a a down payment you might make on your home. It's a down payment of God's promised salvation. The Spirit comes and, and lives and resides in you, Christian, the moment you believe. And He brings the kingdom of God into your hearts. And He has brought it to us to taste and to see the love and the glory of God. And so we taste and we see the love and the grace and the glory of God. And we want more. And the day will come when we will receive our resurrected bodies. And our adoption will be completed. And all that we have now, all the good that we have now, is but first fruits will be given in full. And it's because of this, the Christian inwardly groans. We groan inwardly for our Lord Jesus to return. 
Now, before we move on, I want to make everyone aware here that though the Christian does groan, these verses are not talking about grumbling and complaining. Perhaps too often we are better known as grumblers and complainers than inward groaners. The Bible doesn't give us permission to grumble and complain. That's not what these verses are talking about when it's speaking of Christian groaning. The Christian groans inwardly because, you know what, we're not where I truly belong. I see and I feel in my bones that I am yet a pilgrim on this side of Christ's return. I know many of you have been away from home for all sorts of good reasons. You have to be away from family perhaps because of a, a business trip or, or maybe on a, a special vacation or maybe you're you know, doing something uh, wonderful like a, a mission trip and you go and it's, it's great and everything's wonderful and yet inside of you, you know and you feel I'm not home. And you miss your family, and you miss your place, and you miss where you belong. There's an aching there. Again, these verses are not talking about people who complain about their jobs or their circumstances or their pastor's choice of tie or whatever. If this describes you, though, if you are a groaner, or not a groaner, sorry, if you're a complainer, or a grumbler, then you need to humble yourself before God. You need to, to learn and, and, and grow in accepting God's gracious providences. And where you have complaints, bring them humbly before God Himself in prayer. Take them to the Lord in humility. And that's how to handle your complaints and your grumbling. But for the Christian who groans, we groan not because something's out of place in the church or the pastor's tie or whatever. We groan because our hearts aren't where they belong. And maybe you suffer now. Maybe you're going through a time of suffering and you know this groaning and you feel it more acutely, this, this uh, longing to be free from indwelling sin, to be free from the, the faults and failed promises of this world and free to, to be able to praise God without distraction. Well, I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that one day we will be resurrected and we will be free from the futility and decay of sin. And so the Christian life is waiting for that day. And as we wait for that day, in verse 25, it says we wait for it with patience. Notice that, with patience. Not, not with, uh, we're not to be anxious in our waiting, but patient. We are to live by faith, trusting God and His perfect timing. We, we wait for Him with patience. How often do we lack patience? Too often, perhaps, you feel like you have to be perfect. You have to be perfect to be able to enter these doors. 
And you know what? If you're in Christ, you will be perfect one day. Just not today. And we recognize that. And you need to recognize that. Others say that all true believers should be healed and have no sickness. I actually met someone today who was complaining to me about God not healing him instantly, and he didn't know why. Why isn't his illness driven out of his body? That there must be a lack of faith on my part because I'm not healed. But here we see God will heal all of his people, but it will be in his timing and in his day of the resurrection. And so be patient. The day will come. So what do you say to a Christian mother who has lost her six-month-old son and is forced to grieve publicly in front of everyone? Well, the truth is sometimes there's not much you can say, is there? We weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. And then lovingly, Humbly, gently remind them. God has made promises and they are sure. They are certain. And the day will come where your suffering now, as truly great as it is, will be swallowed up by the glory that God will reveal to you. So let us set our eyes on that day. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, help us when we groan for your return, O Christ. And in our days of suffering, our pilgrim days, I pray that you would write your promises on our heart and help us to trust you to fulfill them. Thank you for what we have. Thank you for letting us taste and see that you are good. And help us now, O Lord, by your Spirit, to wait for the day of glory with patience. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.